Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. This conversation is part of the series All Things Saucy, Top Tips to Help Students Use Sources as Evidence. And this podcast is about top tips for encouraging students to work with the provenance. We're nearly at the end of our series on using sources in the classroom. And we've spent a lot of time giving you tips on how to work with the source content and ensure students have got enough context to be able to make accurate judgments about them. Yeah. So in our penultimate episode on sources, um, we're going to discuss explicit strategies for getting students to look at the provenance of the sources they're working with and use it to add nuance to their judgments. So we should address the elephant in the room first, which is bias it's such a hot button word isn't it (laughs) yeah and i I just every time i i hear it i keep thinking of the meme of a hand slamming down on a button before the question is fully asked it feels like students just wheel it out all the time um i'm just going to talk about this when they're younger i do i think it's quite cute sometimes because they're just starting to realize that people speak and write with an agenda and they look so proud of themselves um when they get to point that out yeah Yeah, it almost seems a shame doesn't it to bring them back down to earth by pointing out that everyone has a bias and and that this colors a lot of historical sources and that it should be accounted for and actually it makes history interesting i think you know rather than rejecting the source wholesale it's like come on let's look at uh, what this is revealing what little aspect of the past is coming to us from this source yes yeah and um i had a a good discussion about this with my year 13s a couple of weeks ago um around sources one might use as a historian that aren't biased um so accounts for example or figures of production or taxes um so which i thought was a fair point from them i went to a david starkey lecture once and he said that historians should always follow the money because the money is always right Yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> it's definitely going to give you only one particular uh, yes. perspective on the past, though, isn't it? Yeah, look where well, yeah, you, biases. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, although statistics don't always tell the whole story. Um, you you were talking about Stalin's Russia a few weeks a few weeks ago, and um, and the figures of the Stakhanovites record coal mining day don't really reflect reality, because he had lots of help that other coal miners didn't have. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Yeah, so the figures accurate, but you need context to understand it. Um, so, in, well, anyway, yeah, we've we've yeah. kind of <laughs> <laughs> okay. We've strayed from the point a little. This is all related to tip one, though. However, encourage students to make their peace with everyone being biased and teach them to account for this. 
when they're looking at the provenance rather than just throwing the whole source out doing a baby in bathwater type thing with a source yeah and uh, I think this is why it's it's really important for students to think really deeply about the source provenance before they make any judgments um, so sometimes it's a struggle just to get them to read the provenance because they're so focused on the source content yeah have you got you know you've done a lot of um, exam work on this Sally have you got any methods that you use to help them with this yeah now this this might sound a bit mad um, but it is in keeping with my MO of using pictures of animals as often as possible in my lesson slides. So I have a big picture of a cartoon snake and uh, sometimes I place the snake over the content of a source. I pose a question about it and then I add a caption that says something like, unfortunately, this massive snake has just made itself comfortable on the source. So you'll just have to work with a bit underneath. Um, and that's my tip, too. So if you can make a bit of a song and dance about it, it's kind of a memory sticker um, and then they're more likely to to uh, remember to look at it remember to do that reading about of the provenance um, in the first place or get bitten by Sal's snake yeah. <laughs> um, anything it's you just do a cartoon to... I make sure it's just I love it. anything you do to encourage them to focus on the provenance then yeah so um that's kind of uh tip three my, my tip three is to make students uh, uh make sure that they're analyzing the provenance with the inquiry focus in mind you know we keep coming back to this it's so important that you have the inquiry question in mind and um, before you set them loose on the evidence um so it's no good just asking them to analyze the provenance in general it's a really generic activity and it's only going to produce generic responses and i think that can be you know in some ways, I think that can be quite dangerous in the classroom, because if, if they think that's OK, you know, then then they're just going to think, oh, you know, well, I did that last time and it was easy. So I'm just going to do it again. Um, but, you know, they need to understand that if, for example, you're giving them a piece of anti-royalist propaganda from the English Civil War, um, they need to know. Um, if they're looking for evidence for the reasons of the war, reasons for the war, or if they're looking for evidence of how the war was fought or, you know, what are they looking for? Because they can't make a, a judgment about whether the, the source is useful or um, whether the source is, is kind of accurate or reliable, any of those things, if they don't know what they're using the source for. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that a lot of our discussions are are bringing in the same things but we go back to that issue of time and space and knowledge being so important do not do things generically because um, sources come from different time periods there are different issues with different sources in different time periods aren't there and therefore of course there are different things to do with with provenance um, a really nice one as well is that working working um, that idea backwards and getting them to look at the provenance and then write notes for a historian who who might be using them on perhaps what to be aware of so for example in that case this pamphlet was produced by a parliamentarian so it could be useful if you're looking at x but less useful for finding out about y um, and actually getting them to to think about Yes, very specifically in context, what the source is useful for. Yes, yeah, and and therefore what its limitations are. Um, and something else that you can that you can do with that, um, going back to this idea of the, of the snake of not giving them the the source itself to begin with. If you just give them the provenance, um, if they you can ask them to use their contextual knowledge and to use their understanding of the provenance to predict what 
the source might say or what it might show. So um, I just to go back to that that English Civil War example, I'm thinking specifically of a pamphlet that was produced showing Rupert, um, Prince Rupert hiding in a bean field after the battle. If you say, you know, this was produced by these people at this time, um, you know, about this event, what do you what do you expect to see? What sort of things do you expect it to show? And, and that should hopefully get them to really, really think about how the provenance, how the, the bias of that, um, of the person making the source um, kind of creates, well, colours the source, if you like. So um, makes the source what it is. Yeah, so different ways of predicting from, from provenance there. And I know neither of us like acronyms, um, but actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away from that on one occasion, my one exception that I've always found useful are actually the five W's and sometimes, in fact, five W's and an H. I still think that going back to as a check, what, why, when, where and who is a really useful um, disciplinary checklist for them, if you like, um, it yeah, it's not really an acronym. It's it's just a it's a check. Have you thought about this from the possible angles that you need to think of this from? And um, yeah, yeah, and that's I, that's I, one I would stick with. Yeah, and I love that one because they can just tick them off their fingers as they go, and you, you know sometimes I get them to draw around their hand and they have to write a bit on each finger to cover each one of the W's to make them really, really think about it. And I don't do that very often, but <laughs> they don't like no, it. And again, it's one of those that's an idea that's as old as the hills. But hey, if history teachers can't learn from their own history, then what hope for us? <laughs> Absolutely. So, God, blimey, here we are. Where are the where are those long lost New Year's resolutions? Well, yeah. being tip. Yeah. We're going to yeah. say this week, aren't we? That we think we should be running haha, or walking at least. But let's cheer it up by going to a local history site. Yes. Where would you go, Sal? Where do you walk to? Well, I quite like going to Deerham Park, which isn't too far away from where I live. Um, it's a lovely walk because you park up at the top and it doesn't look like there's anything there. And then you walk down a very steep hill. You get to see the nice house. Actually, it's not very steep. I'm just not a big walker. <laughs> and there are deer in the park. And then you can walk back. And I just, you know, it's starting to get a bit lighter. So um, it's nice to get outside in the in the fresh air. Um, even if it's, you know, even if, if you failed your couch to 5K, this is the, this is the time for you to to kind of get out and um yeah and enjoy the outside a bit more yeah brilliant i love uh, running around the city walls um oh yeah yeah it's just it's just great and at this time of year i don't have to knock too many tourists off in the process so <laughs> yes. that's good <laughs> always a bonus yeah <laughs> okay good to talk to you again yeah Sam. yeah take okay take care bye, bye.